the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners. That means temporary dwellers. In a land that is not theirs, and there will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gergesites, and the Jebusites, and all the Zites. Lord, we love you. Come now by your Spirit. Lord, teach us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. A dramatic, pivotal, huge, huge chapter in Scripture. Genesis 15. And what we've seen there, as I've said, in the context of profound and amazing promises spoken by God, is a very normal man called Abraham, who shows us in two different ways frail faith. And then what we see gloriously is not a rebuke from God, but in his kindness, two corresponding acts of kindness that help his frail faith to become fortified faith. And therefore, in the big picture, allow God's delivery of his promises to occur at top speed. So two ways he does this. And although they're two different ways, what we have to understand this, and this is the big thing, and this is why those, those prophecies that came from Sarah earlier on were so key. And again from Louise. What were they saying? They were saying this, O oh church, just as God says to Abraham, lift your gaze. Lift your gaze. Lift your gaze off the things that seem so big. Lift your gaze off your weaknesses that are so real. And lift your gaze onto the King of Kings who has spoken the promises. Look upon him. And that's what we see here. God does this. And he shows him two things. He says, first of all, number one, God is able. And number two, he says, God is willing. Say with me, God is able. God is able. Say with me, God is willing. God is willing. It's not rocket science. But when you look at how God does it, it has a profound effect on a man whose faith is frail. So first of all then, God is able. What he does here, we see here, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. Now, what we have to understand here, the context of this situation, as I said, is that Abraham's mate, Lot, his nephew, was in serious situation of trouble, right? He was being attacked. And Abraham instinctively did an amazing act of heroism, an amazing act of courageousness that we heard about last week, and he saved him. But it's almost like, I don't know if you guys have ever, I don't know, maybe had those spontaneous moments where you've just got to react and you do something amazingly heroic. I was trying to think of an illustration, and rather sadly, I couldn't think of anything in my life. 
which is rather sad. But I remember my mate Kev, once he was in Canterbury, and there was a little boy wandering across the road. His mum had, had, had turned her back. He was wandering across, and there was a, um, a dust cart coming, reversing, and it's about to squash him. And he literally just went, no! Not literally, but he ran across and grabbed him, and he saved his life. But afterwards, he said he was like, he actually realized how dangerous what he had done had, had been. And it was almost like in the moment, adrenaline had got him through it, but then suddenly there was like an emotional cost, okay? And so we see Abraham here, when this chapter starts, is in that place. He's like, my life, what did I do? And in that moment, God reiterates the promise of supernatural life. He's already promised it in Genesis 12. He said, I'm going to give you a son. Even though your wife, Sarai, cannot have kids, and even though you're like a gazillion years old, I'm going to give you a son. And so we see here, in this moment of emotional vulnerability, God says to him, hey, listen, your reward shall be very great. It's like he's saying, hey, remember the promise I said to you. But what we see here, interestingly, is that Abraham's response is actually one which is almost quite aggressive. He says here, but Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Now, it's it's important that we understand what's happening here. Is that when God whispers this promise again to him about having a son, and it hasn't happened yet, what we're not seeing here is unbelief. But what we are seeing here is frail faith. We're seeing here faith, but he is struggling to believe that actually it's really going to happen. He still does believe it because God is faithful, but actually he's being real. Anyone here at, at times feel like their faith is a little bit frail? I know certainly for me. And he's saying, but Lord, he's saying, Lord, you said you'd do the impossible. You said, Lord, that you would give my wife who is barren a baby. And that through him, you would launch this rescue plan to planet Earth. And Lord, it hasn't happened. I'm not doubting you, but I'm struggling. I am struggling. My faith, to be honest with you, is a little bit frail, O Lord. And this is, a, this is a, a, a key theme we see throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about having a mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed. Mustard seed's not very big. It's tiny. I'm sure you... People who are into gardening and stuff would be able to tell me exactly how it's very small. It's a little, ditty little seed. But it still exists. It still exists. Jesus said, all you need, all you need is a mustard seed. And here we see that Abraham is using this mustard seed here of faith to kind of, in a healthily aggressive way, almost wage warfare with God. He's saying, God... You promised this to me out of the blue. I didn't ask for these promises, but you spoke them to me. And Lord, actually, I'm saying, Lord, fulfill what you've said. So far, there's been no offspring. There's been no supernatural child. Lord, I'm saying to you, Lord, do what you said you would do. In 1 Timothy 1.2, Paul speaks to Timothy and says, This charge I give you, Timothy, my child, that in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, by them you may wage the good warfare. Anyone here ever had a prophecy spoken over them? Okay, if you're a Christian here, many of you would have had prophecies over you. And what we mean by that is when someone with a prophetic gifting who hears from God speaks truth about you, maybe in the present or even the future. But actually, the perfect prophecy we see is called the Bible. And this is full of incredible promises from God. This is full of guaranteed promises. 
So whether it's prophecies and promises through the Bible or through spoken in recent days, God is saying here, like Abraham, we need to be a people, even when our faith is just like a mustard seed, who wage warfare. As Paul was saying to Timothy, he's saying, listen, I want you to say to God again and again, Lord, you've said. I mean, this is kind of, in essence, what we do more than anything at our prayer meetings. I want to encourage you again with all my heart, if you can possibly be there tonight, to be there. Because what we do above else, we say, Lord, you've spoken these things through your scriptures and through, promise and through prophecy. Lord, fulfill them. We know we're praying in line with your will. Bring them to pass. I have, this is a folder of personal prophecies over me that I've had in the last few years from people with good track records and that are in line with scripture. And I carry about with me wherever I go. Because it's almost like a, you're waging war facing, Lord, when things are going wrong, when I feel like I'm, I'm about the worst Christian in the world ever, but you said to me, Lord, you've promised these things. God wants us to be our people who realize that when he speaks promises, he is able, he is able to fulfill them. And this is the amazing thing. Frail faith. How does God respond to this frail faith expressed in righteous aggression towards God? I love it. We see here, it says God takes him outside. He says, look. He says, listen. Look at heaven. Look up. Look up right now at the stars. Count them if you can. You see, so the moment here, Abraham is, is struggling to believe that God is able to fulfill the amazing promises that he's spoken to him. And he doesn't whack him over the head and say, you wicked boy. He says, no, no. Listen, my boy, look at the stars. Do you guys know much about the stars? I did a bit of research. The European Space Agency says this about the stars. It says stars are not scattered randomly through space. What a surprise. They are gathered together. How interesting. Into vast groups known as galaxies. The sun belongs to a galaxy called the Milky Way. Who named it that? Isn't that weird? The Milky Way. Astronomers estimate that there are about, okay, you ready? A hundred thousand million stars in the, in the Milky Way. But outside that, there are millions upon millions upon millions of galaxies. Do you know, you get stars that burn, are you ready for this? 30,000 degrees centigrade. 30,000 degrees centigrade. So you've got basically trillions and trillions and trillions of stars burning at 30,000 degrees centigrade. Okay, this is another interesting fact the European Space Agency told me. The largest, most powerful nuclear reactors in the world can produce at max power 5,000 megawatts of power. 5,000 megawatts. So it would take 2 billion, not million, 2 billion of these babies flat out for a year 2 billion of the world's most powerful nuclear reactors flat out for a year to produce the same energy the sun pumps out in one second. <laughs> Enough said. I mean, and, just, and then we say the sun is one star 
out of 100,000 million in the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is one galaxy out of a million, million, million galaxies. Come on, Abe. Lift your gaze, brother. Is that not amazing? Hello? Yes! Those are secular scientists reporting about the glory of the stars. One little aspect of the entire universe. Profound. And in that context, with God saying, count the stars, he says, now do you really think that I am not able to fulfill my promise to you to give you a son supernaturally? It's embarrassing, isn't it? You just kind of hear that fact and think, oh, I'm so sorry. That's ridiculous. God, you're... of course you can. Of course you can. I love it. Romans 4, it makes a huge deal. Because you see, Abe's response to this, he says, and not surprisingly, Abe believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. What is Abe's response to count the stars like ours in this room is to say with one heart, God, you who sustain every single star in the universe, you are so able, so able to fulfill every promise you've ever spoken. So, so utterly able. He believed the Lord, Romans says. He believed him. He had faith in him. And what it does is it activates something. It says he believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. His faith in God as able to do it activated something. Do you understand that? God showed him. He gave him a visual aid. He said, look at the stars. And his frail faith became fortified faith. And God said, hallelujah, I can use him now. I can use him. This old man, his heart was like a new man. Renewed because he'd seen the glory of God. One visual aid and his feeble faith became totally, totally fortified. Because God had showed him that he was able. So I want to say here, our response is vital. Yeah? We can't just say, God, well you've promised these things over us as a church, over us as individuals. And so Lord, do it. No, no. We have to become a people who, like Abraham, respond in faith. If we want to see the promises of God fulfilled and delivered, we need to be a people who do not allow feeble faith in our life. We need to be a people who do as Abraham did, which is say, Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief. And God loves to change our hearts. Our response is vital. If you're a non-Christian here today, I believe that God has brought you here. I truly believe it. Now you might think, what the heck? That's a bit weird. I, I used my mind to come here, Tom. But I, wanna, but I believe Scripture is clear that at the same time as us working towards God, that mysteriously God woos us. But I want to say, although that's true, and God is there helping us to understand Scripture, your response to Him is vital. There comes a moment where you go, do you know what? I actually need to respond to this thing. God has helped me to get to this place, but now my response in faith is vital. And then as Christians, that initial response that we make continues throughout all of our life. Is that we're called to be those who don't just walk into relationship through faith, but then we continue on a journey of faith. I love Romans 4. It says this about Abraham. It says, 
he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead because he was 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. This is huge. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong. Say grew strong. In his faith. As he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is huge. I love this. Because it doesn't say Abraham, you know, put his head in the sand and pretended everything was fine. No, no. He first of all counted his old body. He said, blimey, I'm an old man. And then he looked at Sarah and he said, do you know what? Sarah's barren. She's never had kids. We know she can't have kids. So he looked at the reality of the situation, but then he looked at God. And he said he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able. Now this is huge. This is just huge. How do we grow in faith, from frail faith to fortified faith? It's always the same. How do we become a people who are always growing in realizing God is able? It's as we gaze upon him. And this applies to every area of our life. Now, so for example, as the church said at the moment, we are asking all of us to step up our giving just a little bit. Simon, our treasurer, a few weeks ago, said to us, the moment if we keep going, we could be £40,000 overdrawn this year. We, we could be £40,000, you know, basically our reserves would be gone. However, don't panic. All it means is we need to get up our giving £10 each a month, more. Oh, okay. But even that, even that requires us in faith saying, God, I'm trusting that you are so able to supply all my needs. It doesn't f- come from us looking really, really hard at the maths of our sums of our, of our uh, finance. It says, no, no, no. Lord, I I trust in you. I trust that you are so able. I trust in you, O Lord. So when we we think of talking to those who don't know Jesus and think, how, Lord, how can I communicate this to them? It takes us trusting that he is able to use our very faulty ways of explaining what it is to know God to soften hearts and bring them into a place of knowing God. If we are focusing on ourselves and our limitations, we will never grow strong in faith. We have to be a people who again and again, in every different aspect of our life, lift our gaze and say, but Lord, I'm not going to waver with mistrust. I'm going to trust in you. It's huge. Put your hands like this. Faith goggles. Our whole of our life. We need to be a people who are focusing on our God. Focusing on on God. Can we just welcome Barry Jordan up to the stand? Let's just welcome him. Barry. Barry is a mighty man of DIY. He has many, many talents. Many talents. But this man is outstanding when it comes to just doing stuff. Now, Barry, today, for the purposes of this illustration, you are God. Okay? He's not literally God. Just for the illustration. And you are speaking to me, a man with frail faith. And you've just said to me, Tom, you and I together are going to build a new kitchen for Josie. You've just said that to me, haven't you? I have, very, I have very frail faith at this moment because I'm not very good at DIY. I'm fa- he's promised it and I'm facing the task, but I'm thinking, I'm counting my body as 100 years old. I'm, 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 I'm just doubting all the time. However, suddenly, 
I look again at the one who made the promise. And he's built a hundred kitchens. Perfectly. Every time. And I suddenly remember, but Barry's going to be with me. He's with me and he is able. Let's thank Barry so much for for coming up. When our gaze of our lives is not on on not on the one who's spoken the promises and his ability, just as he sustains every star in the world, our faith will stay frail. But God's passion for us is that we would grow in faith. That we would grow, that our hearts and our lives would grow in the trust of God. A massive element of this is answered prayer. It's massive. You know, you know, you do know prayer actually works. I mean, prayer is phenomenal. That we say, God, you've said X, Y, and Z, and I'm asking you to fulfill it. You've promised these things, and oh my goodness, they're happening. I mean, just recently, we had a prophecy about God bringing more and more families into this church. And we were saying, Lord, this sounds great. Do it. Do it, Lord. Do it. We were just praying to God. We were prayer meetings, praying it wherever we can. Do you know what? There's more families coming in. And suddenly we realize that when we pray into promises, there actually is a fulfillment of it. (laughs) It actually happens. And so we grow more and more strong in faith. When we gaze upon the one who has all the ability in the world to do it, everything changes. And the enemy's number one, if he can just get us to subtly be too busy, or just subtly be too preoccupied with other things, so that the eyes of our hearts are not ever more on our God then he will just slow the purposes of God because we will remain in a place of frail faith. But God wants us to grow and expand in our faith, knowing that God is able. Say God is able. I said again, God is able. He is so able. The star sustainer is so able. No matter what you're facing in your life, I guarantee, I guarantee that he is so able to bring radical change. You see, we've, we've got to understand when you look at Christ, when you look at Jesus, when he walked on earth 2,000 years ago, he just changed everything. Even our time, the, you know, the, the dates of the entire world revolve around before he came and when he came. You know, it's 2009 since roughly he came. He changed even time. Jesus is one who is able and willing and wanting to change all the time. He was the one who came. And he changed water into wine. He's the one who came and opened blind eyes into seeing eyes. He's the one who came and spoke life into dead bodies and they were raised to life. He was the one who came to prostitutes and made them princesses. He was the one who came to tax collectors and he made them revival bringers. He was the one who came on Christian killers and made them the most devoted followers of Christ. It's just what he does. It's what he does. He's always been doing it. You, we have to get into this place of under, we have to be through on this. In our heart of hearts, right deep down, we can so often build a theology around why things haven't changed when realizing God loves the people of faith who say, God, you've spoken it, and so I'm going to pray forever until you bring it into reality because you are a, the one who has always been about change. You love to bring change. He loves to. Do you believe God wants to change this city? He so wants to. And he's so able. He's so able. The arm of the Lord is not too short 
to bring incredible transformation to the tens of thousands of lives that right now have no hope in this city. That is our God. He's so, that's what he did when he came 2,000 years ago. And now through us, through the church, his mission hasn't changed. It's amazing. It's amazing. He is a God who is able to change. You know, at times, I have been discipling people and forever have been giving advice and pastoral wisdom. And there's been no change. And then I meet up with them another week and they come back and they're just different. They're just radically changed. And I'm like, what happened? It's like, I met Jesus. (laughs) I met Jesus. I was just praying and he just broke in. You know what I'm talking about. Because you would have experienced yourselves. You would have discipled those and you'd be like trying to change them. Do this. Put more laws into your life so you make it more disciplined. No real change. And then you just have an encounter with God. Just meet the living Jesus. And bang, in a moment they change. That's our Jesus. And as I'm speaking even now, I can sense faith rising. He is able. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the one who now reigns in glory. He is no longer a humble carpenter in the Middle East. He is the risen, ascended Lord who pours out As was spoken from the book of Ephesians earlier, the same power that raised him from the dead is available to us who believe. It's amazing. He is able. One touch from the king changes everything. Just one touch. One touch. One touch from him and changes everything. Guys, it's not about self-esteem. That's what the world says. It's about Esteeming Jesus. We've got to esteem him more and more. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. It's not about in any way esteeming ourselves. We're wallies. Always will be. But with Christ in us. The hope of glory. It is not arrogant to say that we can see this city change. It's actually faith. It can be misunderstood as arrogance. It's actually faith. Jesus, you're here. You can do it. <laughs> you're with me. You, we, can, we can change this kitchen. We can do it. Does that sound fun? He is able, guys. And I, I want to be real. I want to say that whatever you're facing now, Jesus doesn't promise that this life is going to be free from challenge and trials. He talks about that. He talks about God disciplining those he loves. But it is a God who wants us to understand he is able to change. The arm of the Lord is so incredibly strong. So we first of, see first of all here that God comes to Abraham in his moment of frail faith and he says to him, count the stars. But then what we see here, and this is our final point today, is an amazing, amazing thing. Anyone here a teacher? Hand in the air like you just don't care. There we go. You guys better get this question right, okay. What are the three ways that we as humans learn? Shout them out. Number one, visual. visual. Number two, audio. James Brett's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Number three, kinesthetic. This, this, I love this stuff when you see this because we come up with them and think, wow, we've discovered it. The three main ways that mankind learns. And you see this in the Bible 4,000 years ago. God's always known that. Genesis 12, okay, the, where we started a few weeks ago, God speaks promises, yeah? He speaks them so we learn audibly. 
At the beginning of today, Genesis 15, we're seeing Abraham struggling to believe. Same promises, but this time, visual demonstration. Visual learner. God's so kind. But now we see, because Abraham's struggling now to believe the promise about the land, what does God do? He's like, kinesthetic. Get him to do some stuff. That'll help him to learn. And so what we see here, we see this amazing thing of building this covenant. But what I want us to understand in in this moment, and this is huge, guys. God is not just a God who is able to change. But we see that God now teaches an equally profound, massive, massive truth. You mustn't miss this. God is not just able to change and to bring fulfillment of his promises. He is willing God has underlined, as it were, his strength and his power. Now we see his heart and his passion. His heart and his passion. You see, it's not enough. It's not enough to know that God is able. We have to also know, God, these promises you've spoken, that you are willing to bring them into reality. Anyone here a fan of 24? It's amazing. We're about to watch a clip. I hope you're excited. But in this clip, this is huge, okay? The main hero of 24 is a guy called... Thank you. Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer is out in the field. In, he's, in, he's in a place of uh, peril. He needs rescuing. Sound familiar? He needs rescuing. His mate, Tony Almeida, is pleading with someone called Ryan Chappelle. I think is how you pronounce it. Ryan Chappelle, who is the boss. Now, this is the thing. We're going to watch it. Ryan Chappelle... He's the boss. He has the ability, he is able to be able to send a chopper to go and get Jack. But what we're going to see is, is he, is he willing as well? He's able, but is he willing? Run the DVD. No, I'm telling you he won't wait for it. Jack, get me that evidence as quickly as possible and I'll call Prescott with it. Fine, you can start by sending a chopper to the address you gave me. I got Hewitt. Is he definitely the one that made the recording? Yes, Absolutely. Will I testify? I'm working on it. All right, look, Jack, if I go to Chappelle and request a chopper for you, he's just going to deny it. He's got orders from district. Just deal with it, Tony. As we can see, a profound illustration. (laughs) Anyway, I can tell the story. It's fine. (laughs) Never use technology, Tom. Always goes wrong. What the guy, the boss does, he basically says to him, he's not worth it. He says he's kind of, you know, he's gone off track. And he's a bit of a nasty guy, basically. Now, this is the point, is I think many people in this world, when you say, what's your view of God? They'll say, well, he's clearly pretty powerful if he exists, because everything's sustained by him. But anything more? Is he a God who's loving and willing and able to bring grace and mercy? I don't know about that. And even as Christians in our if we're really honest, deep down in our hearts, sometimes we can doubt that God is actually good. We can doubt that he's, he's actually willing, willing to bring the fulfillment of the promises that he has promised. But what we see here, God deals with it amazingly. In verse 7, he says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He's reiterating the second promise. And we see feeble faith. Abraham says, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? 
And then we see this extraordinary thing where God says, go and get a heifer, go and get a goat, and go and get some other bits and bobs, cut them in half, cut them in half, and then put them in two piles. Now, you might think, you know, if you were to say to me, Tom, can you just guarantee me that you're going to do what you said? And I said, no problem. Go and get me a hamster, go and get me a cat, and slot them in half, and I'll put... It's a bit weird, you may think, to be honest with you. You might be thinking, what on earth is happening here? Why are there two mounds of halved animals there, covered in blood? What kind of God is this? Let me just help you understand this. What's happening here is this, is that in, in the Middle East, um, something called a covenant was a cultural practice. And what it was, was when you had two parties, or two tribes, or two groups, who were going to make a formal promise to one another. I will do this to you, as long as you do this to me, okay? There was a formal exchange. It was called a covenant. And the point of this kind of dramatic, vivid thing, when you understand it, is quite amazing. Because what they would do is, you'd have these two mounds of dead animals here. You would actually walk, in a figure of eight, around these animals... And, and you would covenant to one another. And what you'd be saying is this, is that I promise to do X, Y, and Z just as you promised to do X, Y, and Z for me. And this is the thing. If we break this promise, may we become like these dead animals. That's the imagery. It was hugely powerful. And it was something that happened often in the Middle East. Now, this is amazing. Because what we see here is that actually... This, this incredible imagery here is demonstrating the incredible grace and humility of God. You see, think about it for this moment, is that actually God is thinking, Abraham doesn't quite track with me. He's not believing. His faith is, free, is feeble. And he thinks to himself, how can I help him to understand? I've tried the whole count the stars thing. I know. I will use this cultural practice that was so common in the days in which he lived. I will, I will use this in order to demonstrate my unreserved commitment to fulfilling that which I have promised. God's humility is profound. He is using any means possible in order to draw alongside Abraham to encourage him that he is not just able he is willing. The humility of God at this point is overwhelming. Using a man-made institution. The Apostle Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all. In the NIV it beautifully says, it says, I'm all things to all men. Why? So that I may win some to Christ. This is our God. Our God is so passionate about communicating to Abraham and to us today that he is willing as well as able to fulfill every promise. That he condescended. He came down, he stooped down low as it were, in order to covenant himself. And what we see here is amazing when you realise that although in normal practice, in the Old Testament times, each individual person would take it in turns to walk the figure of eight. I would do it as one party and then the other person what you see here in Scripture is all the more incredible because actually only God, here symbolized by a smoking pot and a flaming torch, passed between these pieces. Only God is the one actually doing the covenanting. You see, we hear no mention of what Abraham does. And the assumption is he stood and watched. 
He stood and watched as God said, listen, I am giving myself to the promise of this fulfillment. There is actually an incredible one-sidedness to this. An incredible one-sidedness. When I got married four years ago, four and a bit years ago, although we were both making promises to one another, it kind of felt at one level a little bit one-sided in terms of the emotion expressed. Many of you are laughing because you know that Muggins here is a little emotional at times. I basically didn't stop crying throughout the whole thing. I was exhausted. My tear ducts were just dry for weeks after. From the moment she walked in, (laughs) there I was trying to get these words out. Jason was like, absolutely cool customer. Yeah, no worries. I promise to love you and obey you. No problem. Till death do we part. She was saying the same words. I was just a gibbering wreck. God here. He's not a gibbering wreck. I'm not saying that. But there is an emotion here that you see, God, that we have to feel. Because you see, the thing is this, is when I say the word covenant to you, if you're anything like me, when I hear the word covenant, it kind of sounds a bit like convent or something. It just sounds a bit very formal and almost a bit cold in a way. Covenanted to you. But that's not what this is saying. Yes, it's formal, but you put your hand on your heart right now. I have to feel the heart of God, that God is absolutely covenanting himself in phenomenal humility to the fulfillment of that which he's promised. And friends, I want to say this to you as we come near to an end. It's so important. It's so important that we realize the same God who 4,000 years ago covenanted himself, displayed his heart of commitment to Abraham, is the same God here today. He really is. He is not just able, he is so willing to pour out the fulfillment of promises in your life. He is so willing and desirous. And I want to finish by saying this. You might say, Tom, well, that's fairly interesting. You know, I can see how this covenant thing is, you know, it's kind of quite dramatic and and God is obviously displaying his humility in his heart. But Tom, you know, how can we really be sure? And I want to say this is that ultimately, again, this is all pointing actually to one central event. One central event by which the whole of history is divided. The whole of history rotates around and it's called Calvary. It's the place where our Jesus, the true and better Abraham, the true and perfect Moses, the one who fulfilled every main figure that you see, the son of David, the true David, The Old Testament is full of these great men and women, but actually they're all pointing to one amazing, ultimate, perfect man whose name was Jesus. Because I want to say this, is that was it because of Abraham's obedience that we inherit the promises now? Not ultimately, no. It's because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully man and fully God, who came to this earth. If we are ever in any doubt, is God willing to bring good things into our life? Is he willing to enable us when we're facing mighty challenges in our life? Friends, I want to say the Bible booms out with one heartbeat. Yes, yes, yes. This picture of the covenant is powerful. It displays the humility of God. But I have to say it pales in comparison when we look at the cross of Calvary. Is God willing 
Is God willing to pour out amazing grace and favor in your life? He's so willing. Because he gave his only son that it might happen. He couldn't just say to a sinner like Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm just going to choose to do it. He can't ignore sin. He's perfect. He had to have justice. But the way that he could promise this to Abraham was because at the same time he knew that 2,000 years later, justice would be done. And so Abraham could receive the scandal of grace, just as if you're a Christian here today, we receive and continue to receive and delight in the scandal of the grace of the cross. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's just huge. It's just huge. There is nothing that would be more convincing of our God's commitment and his willingness to bring every good and perfect thing into our lives. There's nothing that could prove it more than him giving his only precious son. And he did it. He did it. He actually went through with it. And that's the thing that as Christians we just cannot get over. It's just a thing that no matter what else we think about again and again, just come back to it again and again. It's that God gave his only son. You, you, we can never allow distrust of God to, to come into our lives. We can't allow unbelief or cynicism to creep in. We can't become a people who go, I don't know if God loves me. It makes a mockery of Calvary, friends. There's no greater demonstration. Any of you who are parents, the idea of giving your offspring to be killed and butchered and tortured and to be on a cross so that the sin of the world could be placed on it once and for all dealing with it so that scandalously the substitution could be made. The substitution could be made. Just as Jesus who was made sin, he was perfect, but he was made sin. All the world poured on him. If you're a Christian, what it means is that you have in faith said, I trust in that, so that I need never face the righteous wrath of God towards my sin. Just as Jesus was cloaked in sin, we can be cloaked in righteousness. I mean, it's amazing. And this is why it says in Scripture, every promise, every promise that God's ever promised is yes in Christ Jesus. That's how God could say to Abraham, I'm not just able, I'm not just powerful, yes, I sustain the stars, but I want you to see my heart. Are we still, as a people, fully convinced of the heart of God? Or have we allowed a distorted picture of God to creep in? I don't know if I can trust him. You know, when there's delays between God promising things and the fulfillment, the delay is not the same as a denial. It's not the same as denial. God loves to bring good, wonderful fulfillment to his promises. But the Bible talks about faith and patience. They're like a married couple. You can't just have faith bursts. It's coupled with patience. That's why we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. Because God's timing is perfect. And he is not one who is unwilling or unable to bring his wonderful promises 
is glorious. Let's just shut our eyes for a moment, shall we? Lord, we love you. I, I really just today, I just have a sense there may be someone here and you know, you know that you're, you're not a Christian. You're interested in it. But you know you're not a Christian. But actually right now, your heart's just been actually beating. You've been feeling almost just a deep sense of in you. I, I know this is for me. I know this is true. I don't understand it all, but I know this is true. Right today, I want to ask you to be brave and to respond. As I said, we are a people who need to respond to God's initiative. It's the beginning of the path of faith. And I, I just ask you right now, if that's you, you might still have questions, but you know that you need to make a response. You need to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection so that I can know God and know freedom from condemnation. Right now, I want to ask you just to put your hand in the air just a signal so that we can just connect at the end of the meeting. I'd love to just talk with you. Right now, just be brave. No one's watching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. Great to connect afterwards. And I just want to pray right now, even if you're here and you know that you're a Christian, but you just know that actually, for whatever reason, maybe you just start to doubt that God is able to bring a change in that impossible thing that you're facing. Well, the miracle worker is here today. He's here and alive by his spirit. That marriage that seems so difficult, that teenage child that just seems out of control, that finance worry that is keeping you up, that housemate who ridicules you for your faith and you love and yet you feel persecuted by that seminar teacher who ridicules you, that family member whose heart is like stone, God would just breathe on you even now, fresh faith. It's not anything you can do, but he is the God who brings transformation. He's promised that there's going to be as many sons and daughters of God as the stars in the sky. Guys, we can't settle for not expecting massive numbers of people to know Jesus. <laughs> because it's in the promise. There's a lot of stars in the world, a lot of them. And a lot of those stars are going to be in Canterbury. But I want to pray now for an anointing of faith. An anointing of faith. I ask it, Lord, that these people here, that I, that we as a church, wouldn't stress and strive, but we would be a people who allow the magnitude of God who allow the heart of God, the willingness of God, that marriage of those two characteristics to just woo us again and again. Lord, you're so good. We love you. We love you. Amen. Amen. We are out of time, so we're going to bring our meeting to a close there. Thank you so much for being so attentive. I just want to say, um, if you do want more prayer, um, we have a wonderful red t-shirted ministry team, wave your hand Val, there's some others as well who will appear, don't worry. We would genuinely, seriously, seriously would love for you to just receive some prayer if you want it. And uh, guys, it would be great to see loads of you there tonight. Have a fantastic week, thanks for being here, and may this week, the fact that God is able and willing, flood our gaze as we go into this week knowing his goodness. God bless you as you go. Thanks so much for being here.